Lord, we do pray that you will come in power and you would send revival into this church and into the and that you universal church around the world, Lord. Send revival. We do need it now. We need it more than ever before. Lord, today, send that revival. Start here. Start with me. If you would. Lord, today, I think of the one song that we sang, You Turned Graves into Gardens, and I think of Joseph of Arimathea that gave his Hondat tomb to you, only to get it back smelling like frankincense and myrrh with a glory that probably shined as you were risen from the grave. You do turn graves into gardens, Lord. Many of us were dead and we were in the grave, Lord, and you brought us to life. And we thank you so much, Lord, for now we can really live. We thought we were alive, but we're dead. Now we're alive and we are really alive. We're now part of the light. We're now part of the kingdom of God. We see, we live in a world that is not of you, but yet our citizenship is in your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for making us ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for saying, I want you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, to give us the courage to say yes to you and come running to you, Father. We thank you. Lord, you are worthy. Lord, today I pray that you are glorified. I don't pray that any man would be glorified, but that you would be glorified in the message that goes forth from your word. Lord, it's all about you. It's not about anybody else. It's about you, what you have done. And for mankind to say yes to you. As I said in one message, Lord, I said, you commanded the Jordan River to be parted, and it was parted. You commanded the Red Sea to be parted, and it was parted. You say to us, come unto me, all who are weary and leery and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and we say no. Heaven, the creation obeys you, Lord, but we don't. Lord, I pray that today we say yes to you. For those out there over the internet, those that are here today, that they would say yes to you. And no longer know if creation itself can say yes and do what you say. And certainly we can. Lord, today, let there be those that respond to your message and your word. And may it be to your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name, Lord, we bind back evil forces of wickedness. We know they love to disrupt things. But, Lord God, we have the authority. We have the power. There's no weapon formed against us that will prosper. And if the accuser accuses us in judgment, we have the authority to condemn him. And we do so in Jesus' name. Because that's our inheritance and our justification is in you. And we thank you and praise you, Lord. The devil is bound, and Lord, let us hear what your Holy Spirit has to say through the church as we study from your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless the church. Thank you, Matt. You may be seated, everyone out there, everybody online. We're so glad you're here. You're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. 
I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. If you're local, we're 2810 High Paluxo Road. We'd love to have you. We're a half a mile west of I-95 on, on High Paluxo Road, on the north side of the road. It's easy to find. Matthew chapter 7. We've been in uh, chapter 7. This is the second week. I did the first 14 verses last week. You know, it was a powerful, powerful um, message from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus' words as he spoke from the Sermon on the Mount. The name of the message last week was, Are you really a Christian? Are you sure you're a Christian? Are you really sure you're a Christian? And Jesus was telling us how to make sure. And I'm going to hit on that a little bit today again as we, as we go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 29. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are that find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every tree bears every good tree bears good fruit but the bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot produce good fruit a bad tree cannot produce good fruit and a good fruit cannot produce bad fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire so then you will know them by their fruits not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one, having authority and not as the scribes. I could gather right now that those last two verses, you can see the authority that Jesus speaks with in this chapter. He's speaking with great authority. The crowds were in awe because he wasn't teaching like the scribes and the Pharisees. He had meat. He had substance. He had love and compassion as he was teaching. I'm starting with the 
with the 13th verse and 14th verse because we did hit on that last week and it is so important so I'm going to touch on it again and it's part of of this the finish of this chapter because this chapter gives us six twosomes in the Bible six twosomes and I mentioned it last week the first twosome is the two gates or the two ways and we touched on that so they're going to be included here today this chapter is really a contrast between worldly life and, and kingdom life. Worldly life and kingdom life. It's a contrast. You can see it here. Jesus is describing it. Here it is. There's two gates or two ways to heaven. There's two types of trees. There's two types of fruit. There's two types of people. There's two types of builders. And there's two types of foundations. So if you just read through this chapter, you'll pass that all up, won't you? You won't think of all these twosomes that the Lord's telling us about. And they're all directed to the same thing, and that's kingdom life. And not, not worldly life. Kingdom life. Well, verse 14, 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in there by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So we see two gates here, two ways. We see that there's a wide way and there's a broad way. The wide way, of course, leads to destruction. And the narrow way leads to the celestial city, the kingdom of heaven. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Most people think, I'm going to get to heaven because I do good works. I'm going to get to heaven because I taught, taught Sunday school for 35 years. I, I never missed a church service in 20 years. I'm going to heaven. Oh, I'm a decent guy. Because they compare themselves to their neighbor next door instead of to God, which they can hold a candle to. He says, enter by the narrow gate. There's a way which seems right to man. It seems right. You do good works, God's going to send you into the kingdom of heaven. He's going to get out the balance scale, and he's going to put the good works on one side, the bad works on the other, and if the good works outweigh the bad works, he's going to send you to heaven. That's not true. It's not biblical whatsoever. There's only one way to heaven, and Jesus said it last week, and it's going to fit into the narrow way, though I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. I said, either Jesus is a liar, a deceiver, a false prophet, or he is who he said he was. And in John, he tells us this. He said, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. What's that mean? If, unless you believe I am. Oh, okay. I am. I am what? Well, Moses answered that in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3. Moses is, is at the burning bush. The bush is burning up, but, the, but it isn't burning up. It's, it's just a fire in that bush. And the fire begins to speak to him. And he says to Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, you know, 
Moses is there like, this is the first time he ever had a real encounter. He says, there's a burning bush here. There's something mystical about this. Uh, there's fire. I'm sure it was hot. and There was glory all around from that fire, but the bush wasn't burned. And he says to the, to the Lord in the bush, he says, who should I say sent me? And the Lord answers from the bush. He, te- he says, tell him I am has sent you. See what Jesus was saying here? He said, I am. He says, I am. The name of God. That's the name of God, I am. He says, unless you believe, people, that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe I'm God, you will die in your sins. That's what he's saying. He's identifying himself, who he is. And Jesus just didn't say, I am. You know, unless you believe I am. He just didn't say, I am the way. He did not say, I am the truth. He did not just say, I am the door. He did not just say, I am the, the, uh, the way to heaven. He said this. He said, ego e me in Greek. And as I say it many times, Jesus is driving home a, a, a powerful message. Ego means I, and me means I am in Greek. So Jesus is saying this, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father from, except through me. It's emphatic. He's saying, I, I am the way. It's, it's true. It's not good works versus bad works. He's telling you he's the way. Turn to John chapter 3 in your Bibles. John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that has come into the world, that men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. He's saying, the world's already been judged. If you deny Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior, you have been judged already. You've been judged guilty. But unless you believe in Jesus, go to the 16th verse. Everybody always quotes the 16th verse. They forget about what follows. For God so loved the world in the 16th verse that he gave his only begotten Son and whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. They forget about the last couple verses of this chapter. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Whoa. Romans, Paul tells the Roman church, he says, whoever believes on the Lord shall be saved. Romans, turn there while you're at it. Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says right here, Paul is telling, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, what is the name of the Lord? We learned that it's I am. That's the name of the Lord. Jesus is saying, I am, I, I am the way. I, I am the door. I, I am the gate. I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the, li- the, the, the light of the world. 
He's, he's driving. Jesus isn't just some mealy-mouthed person up here. He is identifying who he is. If you turn to Hebrews, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, they think Paul may have. I personally, uh, I'm 50-50 on that one. But Hebrews says, you know, that he's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Wow. That's God. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's nature. You look at Jesus, you see Jesus. He even said that to Philip in, in John chapter 14. Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, Philip, 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 how long have I been with you this long and you don't recognize me? I don't know what Philip would have did at that point. Oh, boy, I blew that one. Well, turn to the, go back from the 13th verse. Go back up and who the, Paul's going to tell you who he is. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart a person believes, not with your head, you out there over the internet or you even here today, not with your head, he says with your heart. God never looks at your head. I don't know about your mind, but it's full of all kind of junk. It was programmed there for 27 years before I got saved. And even after that, still programs were running through my mind. I'm just trying to dwell on, on, on that part, you know, the part that God put in there. Garbage in, garbage out. God in, God out. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved from the wrath of God. For with your heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth man confesses, resulting in salvation. There's two gates. It's very important. So, listen, from that verse alone, those two verses alone, have you really entered the narrow gate? Have you? The scriptures are very clear, and I'm going to drive us home, and I look out here at the audience, and I see... I think everybody out here knows the Lord. But I don't know your heart. Maybe you waved emotional in, in a church service and you did it with your head knowledge and you walked out the door, you walked with Jesus for about two weeks and then all of a sudden you're doing the same things you did prior to that. Were you really saved? That's why I named that message last week. Are you sure you're a Christian? The Bible's very clear who Jesus is. Jesus himself tells us many times, I quoted two verses, John 14, 6, also John 8, 24, unless you believe I am, the name of God, you will die in your sins. Acts, the apostles said that in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. So that blows out Muhammad, Buddha, the crystal that you worship, the statue you worship. That blows everything out. And these men, don't forget, these men that, that are writing this or saying this, this is John Mark writing the book of Acts. Okay? I'm sorry, it's Luke writing the book of Acts. You know, let me see. 
Luke was hanged in Greece for preaching to the lost. Now, do you think he really would have said these things in this book? There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved if he didn't really believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God? These guys that wrote this said there's no other name. They they touched Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They went to the bathroom with Jesus. Do you believe that? They knew Jesus. And I'll tell you what, they aren't going to give up their life if this was a fake. I wouldn't give up my life if I knew Jesus didn't really walk out of the grave. I never saw it, but I believe it. I know he walked out of the grave because men like Peter wouldn't have been crucified upside down. Men like Thomas, you know, wouldn't have been, I think, stabbed to death with a spear in India. This is all tradition on this. Paul wouldn't have went to Rome and been got purposely deheaded, beheaded if he didn't preach the go- for preaching the gospel of Christ. John certainly wouldn't have been boiled in oil. And he didn't die, by the way, as you well know. He was martyred, but he didn't die because God raised him from the raised him and kept him safe in that pot of oil, just like God. The Son of Man kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego alive and well in the fire, and their clothes weren't even scorched, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Believe me, that oil didn't bother John at all. God had a purpose for him, yet the Gospels were written about 60 to 70 A.D., all four of them, but the, gospel, but the Revelation was written around 95 A.D. God had a work for him to do. The Gospel of John is, fills, fills up the hollow spots that are in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 92% of what is in John is not in the three synoptic Gospels. You know what? Timothy wrote this. He said, there is no other mediator between God and man. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for, for you. Are you in the narrow way? Or when you walk out of this church this afternoon, are you the same pathetic, sinful man or woman that you came in before you came into this church? Christianity is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's a new way of life. The, you know, the Word of God says if, if you're a... If, any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. That means your old things passed away and new things came. You shouldn't be, you should be different. You might look the same. Your appearance didn't change. When you got saved, if you weighed 300 pounds, you're still going to weigh 300 pounds. But you're going to be changed. You're going to be changed. Barnabas was stoned to death. Would he have done that? For a lie? I think not. I think not. There's no other way to heaven, church. I don't care what your pastor said. I care what the Word of God says. And the Word of God is very clear. There's no other way under, under heaven except through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I know I'm probably preaching to the crowd, but let's get with the program here. 
You know, we should be different people out in the world. If you're a businessman, you should operate different than the average businessman. There's few that find this path. It's a narrow path. Not only it's a narrow gate, but even the path is narrow. You've got to walk, walk the path. It's important. Then it goes on, verse 15. That's just a little rundown of last week, and it's part of the six twosomes. It's the two gates or the two ways. One is broad that leads to destruction, and many thereby find it. There's supposedly like seven and a half billion people on this earth, and I hope, I would hope a billion were saved, are really saved. Beware of false prophets, verse 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. So we can see we're going to do some fruit inspection here down the line, and you can fruit inspect your own life. Men do not gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Even so, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruits. Jesus here in this passage is telling you, anybody that's not preaching the gospel of Christ, or preaching another gospel, is nothing but a ravenous wolf. He's wearing a skin of sheep, throws a skin of sheep over his head and he, he tries to intermingle and mix with the, with the sheep, but he's not a sheep, he's a ravenous wolf and he's just waiting to go for your juggler. So you can identify these people by their fruit. So if your brother comes up to you and says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Meanwhile, he's cheating on his wife. He has, you know, he, he goes to the prostitute houses He's, uh, he's uh, lying all the time. He's a horrible businessman. His language has not changed from the time he supposedly got saved. Instead of using love words, he's using F words. He should be changed. He's nothing but a wolf. You're fruit inspecting. You remember in the beginning of John's chapter 19, or chapter 7 here, he said, do not judge, lest you be judged yourselves, for in what way you judge, you will be judged. That's what he said in the first part of the chapter. And, and I showed you that this is talking about judgment unto condemnation. You, don't, you can't judge your brother to condemnation. He's already saved. The one that isn't saved is, is already judged. You know, we're talking about a fruit inspection. Now Jesus moves from judgment. Don't judge your brother to condemnation. I showed you the Greek words, krino, okay? But here he's saying you got another avenue. See, you people think that fruit inspection is judgment. Now, if I see a brother in this church is married to a, a lovely lady here and he has an affair with another woman, I'm going to get right in his face. So I would you to keep keep silent around me because I'm going to come after you. Because it's wrong. You can't be saying you're a brother and then doing that. Yeah, we're sinners. 
No doubt about it. We should have the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon us that we can't do it forever. We are to fruit inspect. My question is, inspect your fruit right now. When you leave this place, are you different than you were here? You act different? You walk different? Do you talk different? So fruit inspect your real life. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, and you know the Christian church was a mess. He says to, to the Christians there, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Are you sure you're a Christian? Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Then he goes on, examine yourself. Two times in one part of the first part of this verse. Test yourself, examine yourself. We are to constantly test ourselves and examine ourselves to see, here's the reason, or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail that test? Fruit inspect your life and see if you are failing the test or you are passing the test. If we go to 1 Timothy... I want you to read a passage here just just to get a highlight. Of, I'm going to highlight a few points. If anyone advocates, talking about ravenous wolves here or false prophets, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just read you Jesus' words. He said the way is narrow. That leads to life, and few there are that find it. But the way is broad that leads to destruction. He's saying anyone advocates a different doctrine or a different gospel and does not agree with the sound words of Jesus Christ, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest and controversial questions and disputes about words which plunge men into the in the ninth verse which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith pierced themselves with many a pang but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called. We are called to be holy. Did you know that? You know, we know when we read the Bible, we see that God is just. We see that he's merciful. We see that he's humble. We see that he's righteous. We see that he's loving. 
But, you know, when those words are mentioned, they're not mentioned like this one. God is holy, holy, holy. Three times. That means holiness is very, very important. Holiness is very important in your life. Jesus wants us, God wants us to be holy like he is holy. So we have to change our lifestyle. So examine yourself and test yourself and see if you are of the faith. And one way to do that is fruit inspect. Do you love your neighbor or do you curse him every time you see him? Do you love your brother who you have seen? Because if you hate your brother who you have seen, you can't love God who you have not seen. That goes on a lot, especially on the Internet. I see it. Are you saved? Is your life in the process of being changed? So we have two, f- we have, we have two trees and we have two fruits. Good trees and bad trees. The good trees bear good fruit. Only makes sense, doesn't it? You know that Galatians 5.22, I'm going to read it to you. We're going to stay in this passage. We're going to be in this passage a little bit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desire. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So we see the good fruit. There's the good fruit. Test your your fruit. Are you full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and the rest of them? Or are you not so much? Test yourself. Examine yourself and see if you are of the faith, unless you're not. Then it first says in verse 19, every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know what Jesus is saying? You are in in danger of eternal fire. Eternity is a long time. Jesus' words are powerful. You can't just let them go over your head. They got to go in here, around here, and stay there. Galatians 19, stay in that same passage, here's the works of the deeds of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I have up here something I pulled off. Somebody sent it to me or I saw it on the internet or something. It said, we need preachers today who preach that hell was hot that heaven is still real, that sin is still wrong, that the Bible is God's word, and that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Not these milly-mouthed messages that come from some preachers to get you to, to uh, make them rich. We need preachers that are going to tell the truth. And Jesus is one such. And we're supposed to be following him. 
So I'm going to tell you the truth. We are in danger of hellfire if we don't have good fruit. Because if we can fruit inspect our lives, you know that God can fruit inspect our lives, right? False prophets are ravenous wolves. A bad tree produces rotten grapes. A good tree produces good fruit. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the judgment of God on sin. On sin. Are you a good tree? Producing good fruit? Or are you a bad tree producing bad fruit? I want every one of us to really weigh our lives today and say, am I a good tree producing good fruit or am I a bad tree producing bad fruit? John 15, if you went to that chapter, in John chapter 15, it's very important. One through three. You know this passage. If you've been a Christian a while, you know this passage. Oh, I'm in John 3, in John 15. I am the true vine, says Jesus. So he is, here's what he's saying, Egui me, I, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine keeper. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. So you can see why the bad branch doesn't bear fruit because it's cut off from the vine. And if you are not a true believer, you're cut off from Jesus who is the true vine. One version says the genuine vine. That means the real thing. So, are you abiding in Christ? Since God is working in your life, are you growing? Are you studying and showing yourselves approved unto God? As a workman who needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth, or are you just reading one little devotional every day and expect you to, be, you, you to come up to be a spiritual giant? It will not happen. You can read your devotionals. I love devotionals myself. I get a lot of ideas from them. But it's not going to make you a spiritual giant because you're feeding yourself, your spirit man's getting one little Hershey's kiss instead of a full course meal. And therefore, what you feed the most will grow the most. Since you interpret Scripture by Scripture, let's see where Jesus came up with this at. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah, God wasn't just saying this through Jesus in this generation or for the last 2,000 years, but he was saying it for 1,000 years prior, thousands of years prior. Here it is. The vineyard of the Lord 
First of all, I want you to know the vineyard of the Lord, according to the last part of this verse, says that Israel is the vineyard of the Lord. Let's see what they're doing here. Let me sing a song for my well-beloved, a song of, of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug all around it. He removed the stones. He planted it with the choices fine. He built a tower in it. And he honed out the wine vat, making ready for his crop. Okay? But it produced only worthless grapes. One version says rotten grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard, between God and Israel. You can judge. Okay? What more was there to, that I could do for my vineyard that I have not already done? Why then, when I expected it to produce good fruit or good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will become consumed. I will break down its walls, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or honed. Briars and thorns will come up, and I will charge the clouds no longer to rain upon it, for the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but a cry of distress. Jesus is saying, oh, Israel, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Oh, Israel, I did everything for you. You were my vineyard. I I put I picked the finest plant. I picked the fertilest hill. I dug all around it. I removed all the stones. I planted that choicest vine in it. And I built a tower around it. And I honed out a vat. I was expecting good fruits, but I got nothing but worthless ones. What am I gonna do? Well I'm gonna tell you, you know what? He's going to take it away, and he's going to give it to another. And if you go to the sixth chapter, it'll say to you that Israel has become a stump. Ten percent of what it was. And that's what it is right now, really. Israel, the actual country of Israel, is one-tenth of what God said Israel would be. Because Moses stood at the like the border of Egypt, and he looked north, and God says, I will give you all this land east to the Jordan, from the east to the, from the west of the Jordan, okay? And as far as your eye can see, to the Euphrates River, which is in, in uh, Turkey, and Israel's just this little place. Now, God's given him the whole land, but because they were unfaithful, God didn't allow it to happen. Someday it will happen. So God gave it to another. And right now, the Christians that came out of that group that listened to the words of Almighty God, the words of Christ, and don't count them as worthless, we are the house of the Lord now with a remnant from, from Israel. But if you turn to First Peter chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, he says, Now is time for judgment to start 
on the house of God. We better ante up and get ready. We better get ready. Because judgment, when it comes, just like it came on Israel, it will start with the house of God, just like it started with the house of Israel. And we better be ready. We can quit playing games and having simple, ear-tickling messages that go out. There was a fellow here you know, not too long ago. He came up to me, and he says, Finally, not a mini-sermon. He said, You went for an hour plus. He says, finally, finally, I get a full message. We can't be doing this. Here's what Matthew 3.10 says, and John the Baptist says it to Israel. He says, the axe is already laid on the root of the tree. Judgment is coming, house of Israel, just like it was promised in Isaiah chapter 5. And don't think the house of God today is not going to end up that way I'd love to see revival come first but the Bible tells us that a falling away is going to come there's two types of there's two ways there's two trees there's two fruits and there are two types of people there's good people and there's bad people. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, verse 21. The implication here is some think they know God, and some do know God. Some people think they know God. You know that Billy Graham said this. Let me see it here. I got it in my notes. He said a large part of the large percentage of those in churches today are lost. They're lost. This is Billy Graham. It wasn't somebody on a street corner. Here's what else he said. He said he would be happy if 5% of those who professed faith in his evangelistic crusades would be truly saved. He would be happy if 5%. You know what that means? That means a lot of the people that were his, at his crusades, they went up to the altar, they professed Christ with their head, and their heart was left out. They went out the door. They, it lasted for a week or two days, maybe a month, maybe even a year, and then they walked away and they became the same raunchy person they were before they got saved, supposedly got saved. Are you really saved? Are you really a Christian? There's a contrast here between the worldly kingdom and godly kingdom. The statistics, remember I gave them to you last week, the statistics in the, in the Christian churches today, immorality, adultery, sodomy, fornication, and drugs is at the same level as the rest of the world. That's a disgrace. Jesus said, you know, they, my, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And if you love one another, people will be drawn to the Christian church because they see the love. Because love attracts. It's like a light. It's like a fire. And a moth will head right for that fire. And just like that, if we love one another, the, the world will come running to us like a moth to the flame. Unbiblical divorce is at the same rate of the world. Unbiblical. There are reasons for divorce. 
And I've counseled with many people over the years and showed them them from Ma uh, Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there is reasons for biblical divorce. Youth are having sex in, in their youth groups. That comes from my children who are grown now. They're in their 40s. They told me this when they were going to youth group, things that were happening in youth group. They were selling drugs in the youth group. I, I'm sorry I forced them to go, and I actually did force them to go. They were watching things. The church is watching things and doing things that God hates. Not only that, listen, since 1973, Roe v. Wade... There has been estimated and documented that six, what is it? It's 62.5 million babies have been aborted. That's just what's recorded. That's not the illegal ones. Listen, and you thought Adolf Hitler was bad. Huh. My goodness. Judgment's going to start at the house of God. I hope it's not laid at the axe. The axe is not laid at the that this tree. In Acts chapter 8, turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I want to read the 13th verse and onward, and I'll stop a little bit here and there. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they received the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered money giving his authority to me, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion with, uh, in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness. Listen. Do you know that the prior verses there tell you that Simon believed and was baptized? Peter's telling him, you're lost. You're lost. You think you can buy the gift of God with money? You think you can buy your way into heaven, church? I personally know a guy that's gone, long gone now, 30-plus years. He was a millionaire. When he died... He never stepped foot in the Catholic Church, but when he died, he left them $5 million. I tell you what, if he didn't repent, he's not in the kingdom of heaven. 
because God don't need your money. His streets are paved with gold, remember? Simon thought he believed. The reality was, Paul said that he is in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He thought he was saved, but he wasn't. His conversion wasn't real. Was your conversion real? He, in verse 8 of this chapter, he wanted to be great. That was the wrong motivation. And so if you want to be a great Christian preacher, wealthy, you can't seek after that. You know, he wanted to be someone great. Do you know that God's gifts are always on the lowest shelf? Whoever wants them can get them. God doesn't make you reach for the sky. He just wants your heart. It's on the lowest shelf. Go get it. He had a wrong view of supernatural power. Do you have a wrong view of supernatural power? You're doing it so you can have gain? Well, I'll tell you what, if I laid hands on people in wheelchairs and blind here and, and, and people got saved, this church will be packed out next week, would have standing room only, and it would be packed out the door. And you know why they would be coming? For all the wrong reasons. They're coming, they should be coming because of who Jesus is, not what he can do for you. He's the Son of God. He's the God who came to this earth to be crucified, spit on, crowned with thorns, nailed to a cross, killed, buried, and to rise the third day so that we who believe, truly believe, can be saved. Listen, we need to come back to God. We need, the church needs to come back to God. Let's get this. A lot of people say they know God, but, does, but do you know God? But a lot of people say they know God, but does God know you? In this passage here, first uh, 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Didn't we do many miracles? And Jesus, the Lord will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. See, the point is whether you know God, it's does God know you? Does he? I used the illustration last week. I kind of blew the, the, the power of it. But if I went down to, uh, a year ago, if I went down to Pre Washington, D.C., and I went up to the gate at the White House, and I told the military guard that, that I, I know President Trump. He would get on the phone. He'd call the president. President, Joe Trapani's here to see you. President Trump's going like, I don't know any Joe Trapani. Send him away. That's what this is about. But if I went down to the White House and I went up to the guard and I said to the guard, I know President Trump. Can you page him for me? I need to talk to him. And he calls up President Trump from his, his gate phone, and he says, President Trump, Joe Trapani's here to see you. President Trump says, I know Joe. Send him in. That's what's going on here. 
Jesus is saying, you say you know me, but I don't know you because you haven't. Listen, the church today doesn't even want to preach repentance because you might not have your basket filled up so much. I, I know a f- friend of mine, very close friend, very personal, that goes to a local church, and he, I tell him I preach repentance almost every week, and that means turn away, do an about face. And he said, I've been in this church for 10 years, and I've never heard a, uh, a message on repentance. You know what I said? What are you doing there? What are you doing there? Listen, you can't take these frilly messages all the time. You've got to know the truth. Jesus said, unless you know, unless, unless I am in your life, unless you say that I am, you would die in your sins. Unless you know that I am. That's the power of it. You know what? Even in the same chapter, the first three verses, there's a, there's a person called Paul. Let me read those three verses for you. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. We're talking about Philip here, or uh, um, not Philip. I get these brain spurts every once in a while. Stephen. Saul, this is the prior to being Apostle Paul, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on the day of, of a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judah and Samaria except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud laments over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering God's house, home after home, and dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Listen, Saul had religion, but he had no relationship. Saul had activity, but it wasn't intimate with God. He was radically devoted, but he was devoted to the wrong thing. But as we read in Acts chapter 9, you see that he was changed on that road to Damascus. And this guy, after he was changed, was not the same Saul when he became Paul on the road to Damascus. He was changed. Therefore, if any man, even Paul, even Saul, you know, any man be in Christ, his old nature's thrown away, and all things become new, and he became the greatest missionary evangelist that ever lived on the face of the earth. Because he was changed. So there's two types of people. There's those that know God, and there's those that don't know God. The church better get with the program because a church is losing badly. You know, if I preach this message in a lot of churches around here, they'd pull me off the pulpit. You say God, you say God is love. He would never do that. I say, because he is love, he must do that. It's like this. If you love children, you'll hate abortion. If you love your spouse, you won't divorce them. God 
is written in the Bible in Malachi and several other places that he hated Esau. We know from Scripture he hates sin. We know from Scripture that, that he hates lying tongue. If you go to Proverbs, let me look at it. There's like seven things the Lord hates. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. He hates haunting eyes, a lying tongues, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. He hates false witnesses who utter lies and one who spreads strife among the brethren. God hates because he is love. He must hate. You say, but... What about my will? I want to tell you something. When you became a Christian, you gave up your will, your rights, and your control. You gave it to God. Your will, your rights, and your control. You're not your own, church. You've been bought with a price, precious price. A price that can't even be named. It's so high. Listen, so we have two ways, we have two trees, we have two fruits, we have two people, and now we have two builders. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be likened to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And the scriptures are very clear. The rock's name is Jesus Christ. Let me give you some scriptures. Mark. 12:10, Luke 20:17, 1 Peter 2:7, Matthew 21:42, Psalm 118 verse 22, Acts 4:11 which says the stone which the builders rejected, he became the chief cornerstone. He's the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock that you build your house on. There's a wise man that builds on Jesus and there's a foolish man who builds on sand. You as well as well as I do, when they build a bridge, they don't just pour concrete into the water to the bottom. They dig down into the water, into the rock that's below the sand, and then they put pillars up. And then they build on that foundation. You can sit there at the ocean, and I've done it many times. I sit there with my feet, and the waves are hitting my feet. And as the waves keep hitting my feet, I keep on sinking and sinking and sinking more in the sand can't build your house on the sand a wise man a wise builder builds his house on the rock the only difference between these two builders is this the information's the same the one applies it and the other one does not the one is given instruction he applies it and he and he can build whatever he wants on it one that has the instruction and does not apply it in this case, it ends up in the destruction. Jesus tells the church in John 17 or 13, 7, he says, you know these things, it's wise if you do it. Then there's the, the foolish man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will, not be, will be likened to a foolish man who built his house in the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Let me tell you, church, it is inevitable. For every person that's listening to this, it is inevitable. Trials and, and judgment will come. Storms will come. It's just a way of life. 
Jesus is telling you, you build your house on him and you will be able to weather those storms. I think of that 40 some years ago, 44 plus years ago when I accepted Jesus. I went, I went through a lot in those 44 years. And I'll tell you what, if I didn't have a, my feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, I would have been buried today, probably not even alive. But thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me the courage and the strength to say yes. Are you person, are you hearing what Jesus is saying here? There's only one way to heaven. Christ is the only way. There's only there's two types of trees, good trees and bad trees. There's there's good trees that bear poor good fruit and bad trees that bear bad fruit. There's two types of people, ones who say they know God and ones that know God. Now God knows them, I should say. Now there's two types of builders, one who hears and obeys and one who hears and does not obey. And if you're hearing this message today and you're not obeying, your house is on the sand. And when the rains come and the floods blow and the winds blow against that house, it will fall and great will be your fall because you are in, ter- in danger of eternal dam- damnation because your feet were on the sand. Are you on the narrow path? Or are you a good tree or a bad tree? Are you a person that the Lord knows? Are you a builder building on solid rock? You can't control those storms. They're going to come. But you can control the foundation on which you build. All you have to do is repent. All the prophets, first thing usually out of their mouth was repent. All the prophets in the Old Testament, even John the Baptist, who was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, he said the first words out of his were repent were, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus went into ministry, his first words, repent. And as the apostles write, when Peter preached at Pentecost, repent. It's time to repent, church, because our statistics aren't good and they aren't viewed well in the eyes of God on the Christian church. You say you hate abortion, and you go for a platform that hates children. Sorry, got a problem with it. I do. Your eternal life depends on it, whether you're living a life of holiness and repentance. Your eternal life rests on it. Remember that verse? Are you sure you're a Christian? Test yourselves and see if you are of the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail the test? Are you failing the test? If you are, this altar is open right here, right now. Get over here. Isaiah wrote it. He wrote, wrote several. Isaiah 64 says, Your righteousness is as filthy rags before God. He also says in chapter 59, he says, Your iniquities have hidden my face from you so that I do not hear. Listen, if you're not sure you're a Christian, you belong up at this altar. 
I want to tell you something. God's word goes forth according to Isaiah 55:11. God's word goes forth, and it accomplishes exactly what he wants it to accomplish. Let me give you a good example. On Thursday night, I was up here preaching just this Thursday night. I was so far off base, I, I couldn't get anything right. I'm sweating like a pig. And I'm there like, this message is the worst I've ever preached. I get to the end, and, you know, and this girl in the front row, and she was here today, or she might have left, I don't know. Before I got to the invitation, she's flying out of her chair. She got her hand in the air. I want to come up. I want to come back to Jesus. It wasn't even about powerful preaching like this. She come flying out of her chair. I grabbed two of the leaders in his church, and we prayed over her. And after we're done praying, she's got tears in her eyes and everything. And she says, I want to be baptized. See, that's what God wants, fervency like that. Get up here. Do it. And her life will be changed. I think she was sincere, although I don't know her heart. I think she was sincere. I want to be baptized. So here's the, here's the deal. We're either taking them next week, next Sunday, down to the intercoastal here and baptizing her, or if any of you have a pool that you want to uh, give us charge of to go in there and baptize her, that would be nice. But that's what it needs to be. The people over the Internet and people here now, if you're not sure, if you slipped back, then you need to be up at the altar. You need to come running to Jesus. And God promises you in the, in the prodigal son parable, which really should be called the anxious father, the running father, I guess you could say, the loving father, because he was running towards you. You run towards him, he'll be running towards you. So get up here. If you and accept Jesus or renew your commitment and fire up that spark that's in you, you need it, so do I. Anyway, Father, thank you for your message, Lord. Don't let your word return void without accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish here today or over the Internet. Lord, to you be the glory for this message. May you be exalted and not mankind, for we're here because of you. We're here for you because we love you, and we love your son, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on up, anyone that wants prayer, and uh, we'll pray with you. And I love you, church, and thank you very much. Everybody here, by the way, by the way, um, I wanted to mention it. I walked in here this morning, and I see these signs, and the girls are holding the sign up. Thank you, Pastor Joe, for all you do. And I'll tell you what, I caught completely off guard, and I, I got to tell the ladies, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving me and Liz so much. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. You know, sometimes the way it gets hard. I know you know it, because I know it. We're just all living our lives, and... I just want to thank you a lot. But listen, this is it. If you love one another, all men will know that you are God's Christ's disciples. And that's a whole big picture in itself. So thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I love you. Stick around. I think they have food to eat for, for you. Okay?
Anybody coming up? What, what do you want? How you guys doing today? We uh, we're grateful to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. And uh, we just want to. I was just asked to come up today and just share a little bit about. We all know October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So we've decided today to kind of celebrate Pastor Appreciation Day. So uh, we, that's why we have the food and all the uh, beautiful decorations here. And we just want to appreciate Pastor Joe Trapani, his lovely wife Liz, and all that they've done for all of us. I know all of you. I was talking to Brother Todd. We were just baptizing a guy a couple weeks ago. And me and Todd were just sharing how, you know, Pastor Joe is really the truest pastor we've ever known. And, uh, you know, the most, the greatest example of a, of a pastor. We all know Jesus is our good shepherd, amen? But we can give honor where honors do. And we know uh, God gives us, we call them under shepherds, you know, pastors that are an example to us of Christ himself. And uh, we just want to honor you, Pastor Joe. We just want to thank you. I'm so grateful to God for, for a man of God who will preach the gospel in such a desperate time that we live in who will stay faithful to the Word of God when so many seems to be going astray. And we just want to pray for you guys. And Liz also, if you guys can all just, you know, give a round of applause for Liz and Pastor Joe and the team here. We just want you guys to know how much we love you and how much we truly do. I know it's a little cliche, but we truly appreciate you guys and all that you've done for our lives and how faithfully you've poured into us. So let's go ahead, guys. Let's stand to our feet quickly. And I'm going to go ahead and just pray for uh, Pastor Joe and the ministry. Okay. And uh, everyone online, if you're still with us, I believe we're still live. Just join us in prayer and uh, reach out your hands or whatever you want to do. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, God. We know this is a holy moment. And, and this is a... <laughs> This is a holy man, God, that I get to pray for. And I thank you, Lord, that you have chosen him before time began. You called him by name even while he was in his mother's womb. You formed him and you ordained him to be like unto a prophet, a pastor to us, God. And we just thank you. We appreciate, God, that you have, you have cared so much for our souls, Heavenly Father, that you sent your only begotten son for us and you raise up pastors such as this for us, Lord, to teach us the word of God, to show us the way of life, to continue to point us, God, just like John the Baptist to the Christ. And Lord, we thank you that there are still faithful men and women of God across this nation. May they be few. You still have a remnant, God. And so we just bless Pastor Joe, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all you've done in his life and through his life, God. And we know there will be fruit that will remain for eternity, God, because he is abiding and has abided in you faithfully, Lord. He, you are the vine, and he is a branch that is flowing with your life through him, your fruit out of him, God. And we thank you for Liz and their family, God. We pray over their, their home 
just for spiritual covering, God, for spiritual blessing. God, we know you're always doing a new thing, Father. We know you're always pouring out new wine, Lord, and you always give us new mercies and new grace every morning, God. So we just thank you for the new season that they're entering, the new mercies and graces that you have for them, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you're going to continue to use Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches for your glory, Father. We just invite you to continue to have your way in their lives and in our lives, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we bless you, Lord, and we thank you because we know every good and perfect gift comes from you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray, amen. 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 Thank you all. Welcome thank you, guys. My back, yep. So, Father, again, we just bless you and thank you for the food. We thank you so much for the hands that prepared it. God, let it nourish our bodies. Let, it, let this fellowship time edify our souls. And, God, we just invite you to continue to be with us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.